In this episode of Pastor Brad Rocks, God is great because He's the creator of all things. He spoke the cosmos into existence. He is sovereign and transcendent over all of it. He's the redeemer of sinful, broken mankind. While we were still sinners, God sent His Son to be our Savior for all who would turn to Him. And He's our eternal, awesome, loving, heavenly Father. In every episode of the Pastor Brad Rocks podcast, I always share a song that goes along with whatever we're talking about. Today, we're talking about the fact that our God is a great, great God. It just so happens that back in 2003, when I released Get Real, I wrote a song for it called God is Great. It's a worship song, and it just lifts up God and and celebrates His greatness. It's all coming up, man. You ready? Let's do it. Hey man, it's Pastor Brad here, your 80s heavy metal, head-banging, Jesus-loving online pastor. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Pastor Brad Rocks podcast. Hey, wherever you happen to be listening to this episode, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you're enjoying these podcasts, whatever platform you happen to be on, if you can leave a thumbs up or a comment or share this episode with a friend, that would be awesome to help the audience grow. God bless you, man. Thank you in advance so much for that. And now... Let's move on to the point of today's podcast. The point is God is great and he is greatly to be praised. And those who recognize his greatness and bow the knee of their heart to him, this side of eternity and receive Christ will celebrate and enjoy his greatness for eternity. But those who fail to bow their knee will end up in a place that the Bible calls a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a good thing. Here's what the Bible says. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6 No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. God is great because he is the creator of all. He's the redeemer of broken humanity, and he's our eternal father. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first memory verse I ever learned with my grandma. I remember laying in her bed there on Main Street. She said, okay, bratty boy, let's start in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is his world. He's sovereign over it all. He's transcendent over the whole thing. He doesn't need anything from anybody. He can do anything he wants with this world. That is just, he is God. Acts chapter 17, verse 25, Paul teaches us something really awesome about the nature of God. He's speaking to the Athenians here. In verse 25, he says, and I'm just going to use the, the word God whenever the pronouns come along so that we totally get this because it's kind of midstream here. It says, God is not served by human hands as if he needed something from them. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't have any needs. God didn't create us because he needed us. God created us because he's a loving God and he wanted to share that love. So the Bible says he created us, male and female, in his image as an object of his love and relationship and he put us in the garden. And he gave them a choice. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for on the day that you eat that fruit you will die. He didn't mean primarily that their heart would quit beating, although it did bring death into the world. And by the way, death was a blessing because who wants to live in a broken world forever? By the way, Satan picked up on the nuance, the shades of meaning in the word death here. And when he tempted Eve and she said, oh no, God said we cannot eat that fruit because if we do on that day, we will die. Satan said, you won't die, meaning you won't, your heart won't instantly quit 
beating every temptation always includes a half truth that's what makes it so alluring but what god meant when he said you will die is you'll be cut off from me the author of life our relationship will be severed and he had to give him a choice because you can't have a relationship without choice it's not a relationship if you're with someone and they don't have a choice they have to be with you who wants that i remember when i was a little kid playing on the playground in grade school and the bigger kids didn't want to play with me and the teacher came along and said now boys you play with brad You let Brad be part of your game now, okay? And she made them play with me. And then she left. What did I want to do? I wanted to run and hide. I didn't want to be with those boys. They didn't want to be with me. That's not real friendship. You can only have friendship when there's choice. So he gives them a choice. Don't eat from this tree. And by saying don't eat from this tree, he is saying, trust me. Trust me. I know better. I'm your father. It's like a child. Or it's like a parent saying to a child. And, and, and you know how children have a bazillion why questions? Why, 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 why? To everything that the parent says in terms of boundaries in their life. And at some point, the parent, the parent just says, look, just trust me. I got a little bigger perspective on this thing than you do. That's what he says to Adam and Eve. Don't, don't do it. Well, we know how that works out, right? The tempter comes, Satan, the serpent. He says, oh, God's holding out on you, man. When you eat this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know good from evil. You're going to be like God, which is half true. Their eyes were going to be open. They were going to have some sense of what is right and wrong, although they certainly weren't wired up to be able to comprehend what to do with that knowledge. Look at the world. Look what we've done with that knowledge. Boy, we we sure uh, did some good things with that, didn't we? (laughs) What a mess. But as soon as they eat the fruit, they run and hide because their eyes are open, the Bible says, and they, they realize they're naked, which, which they feel shame for the first time. And then the Bible says they hear the sound of, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, i.e. God is pursuing them. God doesn't leave them in their brokenness. He instantly comes onto the scene and he's coming after them. Hey, Adam, where are you? I remember hearing Rick Warren say, hey, anytime God asks a question, remember, he's not asking the question for his own benefit. He already knows the answer, right? Where are you, Adam? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat from? And then he has a conversation with them. And Adam, of course, says, well, it wasn't my fault. It was that woman you gave me. And then the woman says, Eve says, well, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent. Genesis 3 is such a beautiful picture of just human nature. It never changes. We always shift the blame. We always rationalize. We always try to come up with excuses. But when it gets to the serpent, God says to the serpent, he makes this awesome promise. It's called the Proto-Evangelum, which is Latin for the first gospel. Here's what God says to the serpent. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. So between Satan and the offspring of Eve, there's going to be this battle going on. He, the offspring of Eve, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is an early foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus. There will be one who will come from Eve who will rise up and he will crush your head, Satan. In Hebrew terms, to crush someone's head is to crush their kingdom, to crush their power, to utterly, totally, 100% eternally defeat them. And that's what God did through Christ. When he rose from the dead, shedding his blood for the sin of the world, he crushed Satan. And he said, you will strike his heel. Well, when they nailed him to the cross, that was a pretty bad strike and it was a deadly blow. But God comes out the victor. But let me go back, okay, because there's a lot of history that happens between Genesis 3 and the cross. God, after making that promise, begins his story, which is history. And he begins to develop a people. He begins the process of introducing himself to humanity. He calls Abraham, one guy. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's household and everything you know. 
and come follow me. Turn your back on the world and come follow me. And Abraham is called the father of our faith for that reason. And, and that is a great reason because this is the crux of what the gospel is all about. This is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. When we encounter the gospel, the call of the gospel is turn your back on the world, leave your old life behind and come follow me as your savior and your Lord exclusively. That's what God calls Abraham to, and that's what Jesus calls us to. Abraham says, okay, leaves everything behind, follows him, and from Abraham, God makes this amazing nation, Israel. There's so much story here, but he he reveals his word to them, and he teaches them of himself. But of course, Paul tells us that the law, essentially, all it did was reveal how broken we are and our inability to live up to God's perfect standard. And so Israel just never could live up to that. But this is all part of God's sovereign plan. He loves them. He works with them. He redeems them. He gives them the sacrificial system to cover their sin. There was ample opportunity for a Jew that truly loved God to have a relationship with him. David and a number of the prophets and lots of individuals from the Old Testament had a deep relationship with God. Then Galatians 4.4 says, but when the set time had come, God sent his son. I love that wording. When the set time had come. That tells us that there was a set time. Nobody knew about the Father, but there was a time marked on God the Father's calendar in heaven that said, okay, it's time. I've orchestrated my story in such a way that everything is lined up for for Christ to come into the world. John 3.16, Jesus later on in his life said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes, pistuos, which means to to put your, your trust in him and to follow him and to surrender to him, whoever believes in him, shall not perish. They won't have to experience that spiritual death. They won't have to be cut off from God. They can have a relationship with God. They don't have to perish, but they can have eternal life, abundant life, real life. doesn't mean your heart won't quit beating. It means that, that just like Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. So your heart quits beating, but your spirit just goes right on into the presence of God. A little later on then in Jesus's ministry, he makes this amazing statement. There's so much behind this verse, but I'm just going to focus on the timeline aspect of it. John 14, 3, Jesus says to his disciples, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back. So Jesus says to his disciples, yes, I'm going away back to the Father, and while I'm there, I'm going to prepare a glorious place for you and for everyone who believes in me, and someday I'm coming back for all of my people so that you can be with me. And so thus far we see God is great. He speaks the universe into existence. He speaks and light appears. He speaks and and the waters separate from the waters and land appears and the atmosphere appears and the sun and the moon and the stars. The Bible says he he knows all the stars by name. He speaks all these into existence. He is the creator of all things, sovereign and transcendent over all of it. And then he is working to redeem humanity. He sends his son to be the savior of the world. And Christ sheds his blood, he's buried, he's resurrected. The serpent's head is crushed and his power is vanquished forever. The church comes into being, the gospel begins to be proclaimed. The word gospel, by the way, isn't just a Christian term. It was a, a well-used term in that day. And it just meant good news. And so the gospel was the good news that God hadn't left us in our sin, but he had sent Jesus to shed his blood for our sin so that we could turn to him and receive forgiveness and be reunited, brought out of death, spiritual separation from 
God and back into relationship with Him. The New Testament, especially Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to do a study of that chapter, it would really bless you. But it declares that the sins of the Old Testament could not be covered by the by the blood of bulls. They, they Actually, those sacrifices were just a reminder of their sinfulness. But then when Christ came, He died once for all sin. God knows the heart of every man and woman. He knows everyone that loves Him and trusts Him. So when Christ came and shed His blood once for all, it atoned for, it paid for the sins of every faithful person who walked under the Old Covenant, as well as everyone who would trust Him going forward. That's why it's called the Good News Man awesome. So Jesus promises us that yes, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to prepare a place for my people, and I'm going to come back for you to take you to be with me where I am. And so then when we get into the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, you hear John tell us that there's going to come a time when the trumpet will sound and there will be a white horse appear in the sky, and that will be Jesus, our awesome Savior. And this time he's appearing not as a suffering servant. That was his role the first time, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he allowed them to nail him to that cross. Uh, He submitted himself to the Father's plan. But now all authority is his, and he is coming as the King of Kings to put down all evil and to make all things right, and to usher in the new heaven and the new earth, and to separate the sheep from the goats, and to bring his people to be with him forever. And then Paul tells us something amazing. And I'm not exactly sure where this falls into the timeline. I know it's at the end. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you know at the end of Matthew, Jesus, just before he gives what we call the Great Commission, and he calls us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Just before that, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to me. Therefore, in that authority, I'm commissioning you with this great commission to go make disciples. Here, Paul says that when it's all said and done, when every enemy has been vanquished, Jesus lets go of that power, that authority, gives it back to the Father. And there's lots of verses in the New Testament that allude to this idea that he will become our elder brother. He'll always be our Savior and our Lord, glorified forever, but he'll also be our elder brother, living with us as brothers and sisters, kings and priests, serving with him in paradise, in heaven, under the heavenly Father, enjoying one another in God's presence forever and ever. How awesome is that? Romans 8, 28 and 29 says that God is working in every circumstance of the lives of believers to make us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Revelation chapter 21 gives us kind of an image of the restoration of all things at the end. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, now I want you to think about something. Paul says that even creation was subject to the curse when sin came into the world. So the sun, moon, stars, cosmos, all that is out there and all that is here on earth is subject to the curse. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon or stood on the beach and looked at the glory of the ocean or seen images of the Rocky Mountains or just beautiful places on earth. Think about this, friends. That's the cursed creation. Can you imagine what the restored new creation is going to look like? Wow. Now, I know that we use the phrase heaven, being with God in heaven, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have it all figured out, but listen to what the Bible says here in verses 1 through 4. I saw this new heaven and this new earth, for the old one has passed away. There was no longer any sea. That little phrase, there's no longer any sea, don't have time to go into that here, but look that up in a commentary. It's pretty interesting. 
Verse 2, he says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. Now, now catch this out. It's coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I'm not going to pretend that I know all of that, but I uh, understand all of what that means. But I, I do see this direction from heaven to earth. I see God coming down, Jerusalem coming down, and a mention of the bride. You know, it's really interesting as you study the New Testament and all the passages that deal with the last things, the end times. Uh, there are mentions of Christ coming down, of us being caught up with him, uh, and, and here we have the New Jerusalem coming down and the word bride being mentioned in association with it. So, you know, exactly how that all works out in God's timing in terms of who gets caught up when and who comes down when. I'm not sure. I know that Paul says to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we go to be with the Lord in spirit. Um, there, so we're with him. And, and, and those could be the, 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 the saints coming down who are the bride to meet those who are still waiting for Christ's return. I, I don't pretend to have this all figured out. What I know is that Christ is coming back for us. And we have described here this beautiful reunion of God with his people. And it's awesome no matter how you slice it. And verse 3 says, and I heard a loud voice and this is this is the, the the emotional part for me and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying look god's dwelling place is now among the people so so this is unmistakable god yeah we're caught up with christ at some point in this story but then here we have an image of god coming down and he's announcing now God is among his people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And however you interpret these verses, the awesome thing to see here is that this is all God ever wanted from Genesis 3 forward. All of the, all of the pages of the Old Testament, all of the pages of the New Testament were building up to this moment when God said, okay, now I'm with my people. Who's his people? The people who chose him, right? The people that he's with here. The, 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 sheep, the sheep have been separated from the goats. The goats are gone. The unbelievers are gone. Now we're in real relationship because we are people who have put our hope and our trust in God. And we've all said, yeah, I get it. I know I'm broke. I know I need grace. But I've put my trust in you, God, because I love you and I want to be with you. And those are the people that are with him right here. That's all he ever wanted was relationship with his people. And now he's our heavenly father for all of eternity. Do I even begin to comprehend how awesome that's going to be? Nope. But it's going to be awesome. Verse 4 gives us a little glimmer of some of what it's going to be like when it says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Man, God is great because he's the creator of all that is, including the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. He's the redeemer of broken humanity for all who will turn to him, put their hope and trust in Christ. Man, I hope you've done that. He is our father. Jesus taught us to pray, our father which art in heaven. He will be our eternal father when we're with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Man, it's just amazing. This song, God is Great, I wrote it as a worship song, and it just tries to encapsulate what we just got done talking about, that God is just wonderful, awesome, amazing, so worthy to be lifted up in praise and exaltation because he is the creator of all that is. He loves us 
in spite of our brokenness, pursued us. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait on us to get our act together. He pursued us in our brokenness and made a way for us to come to him. And man, if you've tasted and you know that God is good, then you know what I'm talking about, man. He is so awesome and he will be our father forever when Christ returns and sets all things straight and ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what this song's about, man. Just lifting God up because God is great. Here it is.
Hey man, thanks so much for hanging out with me on this podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it and I hope it totally rocked you up for Jesus. As we wrap things up here, let me quickly say, if you dig what I'm doing, man, and you're blessed by the music, the podcast, the teaching videos, etc., and you want to support this ministry, this mission to reach classic metalheads for Jesus, I want to invite you to head over to my Patreon page and learn how you're just couple dollars a month will make a huge difference in this ministry. And also about some amazing exclusive benefits that you'll receive in exchange for your support. The link to my Patreon page will be at the very top of the show notes. So head over there, check it out, learn about it, pray about it. And whatever you decide, man, God bless you. And thanks for being part of the Pastor Brad Rocks family, man. Remember to like, share, subscribe, leave comments, all those things that helps the show to grow. Really appreciate it. Stop by PastorBradRocks.net sometime. Over there you can learn all about the ministry, the music, it's some free uh, music downloads, all kind of cool stuff. Also, if you're interested in following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, best decision you'll ever, ever, ever make, promise bar none. You can learn about that over at pastorbradrocks.net as well, or leave a comment here. I'll get back with you. Shoot me an email at pastorbrad at AOL.com. Yes, I still use AOL. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with me, man. Until next time, keep your eyes on Jesus. God bless you. Pastor Brad, out.